Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Kirk Morrison, a committed volunteer and encouraging resource for parents who have children that are struggling with substance use disorder. And now, the Live Your Purpose podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose podcast. My guest today is Kirk Morrison, who enjoys volunteering for Parents Helping Parents, a nonprofit organization that provides education, resources, shared experiences, and support to parents whose children, no matter the age, are struggling with substance use disorder. Kirk's career was in commercial construction, having worked for Timberlake Construction and Concrete Enterprises. He's also co-founder of Contemporary Cabinets. Kirk and his wife, Kathy, enjoy traveling in the national parks, and they have two adult children, and they enjoy spoiling their two grandsons. His favorite quote is, there is help and hope. Kirk, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate you letting me uh, join your group. So thanks. Absolutely. It's really an honor to have you on. We've known each other for a couple of years, I think, and um, gotten to know each other through, uh, well, through recovery, but through mutual friends also, and uh, being on different sides of recovery. So from the time we met, I really knew that I wanted to get to know you better. And as I have, then I realized I wanted my audience to get to know you better too. And all the good stuff that uh, you and your organizations are up to. Yeah, I think we first met at an open house there at your office, uh, like I say, about a couple of years ago. So it was good to see your the office and what Dr. Murata does there too. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Kirk. Well, as you may know, we start each episode with a kickoff question, and you've chosen yours. So I'll, I'll hand you that question, and we'll just see where the conversation takes us. So, Kirk, what struggles and triumphs have most shaped your life? Well, you know, like you said in my introduction, that I volunteered for Parents Helping Parents. And uh, it was through my struggles uh, coping with the loved ones substance use disorder that uh, brought me to that group. And um, as a customer, so to speak, to start with. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I thought I was the only one dealing with it. And it was refreshing to see, well, other people in the room that looked normal to, you know, no, somebody said no three-eyed monsters in the room. We're all parents <laughs> trying to do the best we can. And um, I, it was at those meetings, those chapter meetings of the Edmund chapter, I saw this need for, the, for help for myself and my loved one, but also saw a need for the community needing help. So that, was, that gave me motivation to, once I've kind of gotten past my crises to start volunteering for this group. So. Yeah. yeah, that's, it's amazing work. And, and to be honest, I hadn't known about parents helping parents before we met and I met others in your circle, uh, Derek Talkington and, and others who are involved in the program. And I was on a virtual right. uh, show um, program, I think last year, talking about self care. 
but you all put out a lot of content and uh, online through your Facebook channel and, and uh, through the website, et cetera. Um, basically, how does, how does parents helping parents work? If there are parents out there, how do they, uh, how do they uh, get to know about what you offer and, and what kind of help do you really provide those folks? You know, our, our focus is a little unique is that we're uh, trying to help and support the actual parents. Uh, we're not trying to offer help to the, their loved ones. Now, we may help them find a, an appropriate resource for their son or daughter, but our, our primary focus and mission is to be of support to uh, that mom or dad that have a son or daughter that they're struggling and maybe they just don't know where to start or they don't understand why their loved one is acting out in the manner that they are. And it's through this network of uh, actual physical chapters. And as you mentioned, the virtual chapter that we have these, have these meetings and it's kind of a three-pronged approach. It's education, shared experience and making them aware of a resource that would be appropriate for their loved one, but also for themselves. Uh, as you mentioned, self-care is a, is a something we really stressed. And it may sound foreign to someone early in this process, but I learned over time that if I, if I didn't take care of myself physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, I wouldn't be able to support my loved one when they when they were willing to get help or you know be willing to go uh, to treatment or seek a, uh, you know professional advice or counseling. Yeah, that's really great stuff. Uh, what are some of the things that are pretty common that parents face and they come to you with uh, those those moments where they're at a tipping point or a breaking point? Uh, for folks that are listening and they're thinking that may describe me, what what does that sound or look like? Well, the look is what probably motivates me to, as you say, get up in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the um, the fatigue, the wear, the stress. Um, because I I was that person, mm. and uh, I can recognize the look. I can just see it on their face a lot of times if they're a first time coming to a meeting. And um, like I said earlier, they, they find a place of uh, love and support. There's no judgment. And, uh, you know, their confidence and anonymity is guarded. So they, we want parents to feel safe when they reach out to our meetings, whether they be virtual, Zoom, or in person, hopefully, <laughs> in the near future. Um, you know, it runs a gamut of emotions, I feel. Uh, I never know when someone reaches out where they're at. Uh, it could be denial. It could be fear. It could be anger, uh, frustration, um, and just uh, the unknown, maybe. Uh, that's, that's things I encounter when parents reach out to our group or to me individually. Um, you know, for me, um, acceptance was a hard thing, hard point to get to. I was denying and resisting that my loved one had a significant problem. So for me, accepting the, the, 
the substance use disorder was affecting my loved one. That, that was a big hurdle for me and my loved one for us to both start to get the care we both each needed in our own recoveries, my loved one and, and myself. So. Yeah, that's thanks for sharing all of that. As a person myself in long-term recovery from substance use disorder, from alcoholism, um, being on the other side and working with other alcoholics and drug addicts and uh, friends and family of those, those folks, um, I can relate to what you're sharing. Now, as a parent, uh, not yet. Uh, we, we haven't had that, but, it, but addiction and substance use disorder runs very deep throughout my family. So uh, I'm really grateful. My wife has given me permission to share some uh, from time to time about her story. So she's a long time practicing Al-Anon, which is the other side of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and found the help that she needed through uh, learning to accept my addiction and that the fact that it's a, a disease and it can't be controlled or, uh, or cured by her. And I had to learn those same lessons when working with, I'm saying this tongue in cheek, crazy alcoholics like myself, who aren't known for their honesty and uh, truth telling when they're first trying to get sober. So it's, it's very frustrating to be around people that you care about and just watch them stumble and fall over and over. Uh, for the parents that are listening and, and they're picturing their, their child and uh, you're in the throes of addiction and they're, they're trying, they're thinking about reaching out for help and, uh, and they, they can relate to, to watching their loved one just struggle and, and seem to find um, no progress or no hope for recovery. What can they do at that point to begin to um, make sense of the situation and, and uh, find a way through the chaos? I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I know uh, shame and the stigma of the disease keeps people reluctant to reach out for help. And yeah. um, you mentioned Al-Anon, and we stress that it's, I think if you uh, seek support groups like Al-Anon, Families Anonymous, or a support group of like-minded individuals, uh, for me, that was very therapeutic of itself, just to be in a room full of people that are going through the process, maybe different stages. They may be at the start of it. They may have had some time under their belt, so to speak. But for me, that was a very, there's a power in those groups. And so I've heard the term Al-Anod sometimes where people share and everybody's in agreement. Uh, so Parents Helping Parents is not a traditional support group, uh, but we do encourage people that come to our meetings to find, beyond professional help, find a support group that feels right, that fits you, you uh, location, personality. All these groups have a different feel, so to speak. Um, I feel these kind of groups are with our parents long-term. They may find a counselor or they, they may find treatment as resources, but the support group community, they're always, they always got your back. You know, whatever you're dealing with, 
some, most likely somebody in that group has had that experience and you can share your experiences and uh, you can learn a lot from, from those groups. Yeah, you sure can. And that was my experience going into Alcoholics Anonymous and being around like-minded people that had lost so much in their lives and, uh, and somehow were happy and not drinking. And, and that was just a mystery to me. And, and that's, that's true alcoholism, not understanding that that reality was even possible. Uh, and it took me quite a while. So parents listening, you know, it, I'm certainly not saying I can guarantee recovery for your loved one. None of us can. But sometimes it just takes a while. It takes what it takes, as they say. And there's, that's a truth. And it took me five years of really concerted effort trying to recover and going to uh, two different 28-day uh, residential treatment programs and working with counselors and therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists and uh, inpatient, outpatient therapies and lots of support. So um, if, if your loved one is going through something like what I'm describing, you are not alone. And, and Kirk, as you're describing, um, finding support that you can count on those relationships. There's no need to, to be isolated. Um, it's really harmful to yourself to continue to live in isolation or shame. And there's relief and recovery for you just waiting. And Kirk, I wanted to ask you on that. You can go wherever you'd like, but I do want to ask the question, uh, what types of programs or content do you offer parents, especially that are maybe new and, and looking for help? Well, there's, like I say, we're kind of a segue to resources. Uh, we don't offer specific services ourselves beyond our, our virtual meeting, which you mentioned earlier, that meets twice a month, which is currently in the format of a professional and a parent and facilitator, Derek Talkington. And I believe they're meeting, uh, well, tonight or Monday night, the first, uh, first and third uh, Mondays of the month. But those meetings are recorded, and there is a pretty vast library of pre-recorded sessions uh, from about the past year and a half. Those, and those are on the, those can be found through the uh, website or through the Parents Helping Parents Inc. Facebook page. Um, in our chapter meetings, once again, we bring in a professional. I want to stress Parents Helping Parents we have of our in itself we have no professional expertise we always encourage our parents to seek the appropriate professional care that's them or their loved ones need but our physical chapters those being in Edmond, Norman, Tulsa, and Oklahoma City uh, pre-COVID <laughs> we were meeting all these physical chapters are meeting in person and we'd have a professional that would talk about a topic of interest and there's usually a presentation period and some question and answers at the end and for me I felt the real sense of community was when these meetings would wrap up parents would start connecting to each other they would see someone that they could relate to and we'd have this almost a bonding in a sense of, ah, uh, yeah, there's a group here that can support what I'm going through. And um, 
there's another resource. Um, and I, I know it's hard, it's real hard to come to your first meeting. That's, you're fearful. You just don't, you're kind of on the outside looking in. So there's various ways people can reach out to us if they're not comfortable with in person or being on Zoom or Facebook Live. Um, there's different levels of communication, whether it be through a text message or an email or a phone call. Um, there's an organization, a national organization called Partnership End Addiction. It, it used to be a partnership for drug-free kids. And um, they did a promotion a long time ago where they fried the egg in the cast iron skillet. Yeah. And everybody knows that promotional video, uh, this is your brain on drugs. Well, that's evolved at the nationwide organization. Um, great website, by the way. It's at drugfree.org. And it, it's probably geared to more uh, parents that say have uh, adolescents. It's not specifically to that, but a lot of their programs are geared to that. And uh, if you would find, like, they found people would reach out to their uh, call specialist and, you know, get some information and resources, but they would, they started asking is, could they talk to another parent? Was there a parent on staff they could talk to? And they kept seeing this need or this request. So they started this uh, parent coach program. And this is a free program where some, someone from anywhere in the country calls in they do a basic intake and they say they want, they're interested and want to participate in the parent coach program. And the partnership will pair that caller with another parent and um, through a week, weekly phone calls, about an hour a week, um, we can help that parent walk, walk through the process, um, really stress uh, communication skills and how to come from a place of love and care, um, not you don't need to be blaming or shaming your loved one or, or probably or struggling with substance use. They, they need support. So, and uh, so that's a neat program that uh, I volunteer for also. So. That's exciting. And that's, we, before we went on air here, you were talking to me a little bit about that program, the uh, partnership to end addiction and, and the parent coaching program. I think that's really exciting to meet um, an individual from all around the country. And that's one of the many gifts of technology uh, and being able to share that experience and act in a mentorship role and uh, being supportive and uh, guiding someone through the process. Um, I know with the work that I get to do, I, I meet with folks over a period of time, I, my coaching clients. And I mean, there's nothing like it, seeing people grow and develop and, and uh, learn new things and apply those lessons to their lives. And and lo and behold, their life gets better. Uh, it's really rewarding. And so I'm glad that that program's out there. I'll be sure to drop the links to everything you're mentioning in the show notes. So those listening in, check the notes and go click those links and find out more. I wanted to ask you, Kirk, um, what does progress look like as parents get involved in, in the resources that you have to offer in the meetings? What does it look like to start making progress in, in terms of, of uh navigating substance use disorder of a loved one? You know, we mentioned earlier in our talk about uh, 
maybe the look or the stress on someone's face when they come to a meeting. And one of our board members has a saying that I, I like and it makes sense to me is uh, talk about our the support groups, whether it be Al-Anon, Families Anonymous, um, or other, there's numerous ones around the community, a chance to change as a family support group. Yeah. He said, uh, the gentleman said that's on our boards that, well, people at those meetings were smiling and I wasn't smiling. And I want, I wanted what they had. And that doesn't mean their loved ones were fine. That it, it just means they were able to cope, what, cope with what was going on with their loved one's life. And uh, not to say we, you're not still worried about your loved one, but you can live your life. You're not isolated and surrounded by your own thoughts or going down that rabbit hole of what if and, and worry, which is usually you worry worst case scenarios and that's not healthy. So it's okay. Uh, I've said this before to parents, it's okay to be okay, even if your loved one is struggling. And I think in a way you can almost model self care to your loved one. If you're starting to have a dialogue with them that, hey, you may need to have an assessment or we might want to entertain, entertain intensive outpatient or inpatient treatment for you, you can model that behavior by taking care of yourself, as we mentioned earlier, and going to your support group meetings or meeting with a professional like yourself, uh, having your own counselor. Uh, I think that says a lot to our loved ones that we're trying to we want to love and support, but it, we want to also learn how not to enable their addictive behavior, how not to make their addiction worse. And um, I was the world's worst at that until I started <laughs> understanding the family disease of addiction. I was, uh, was almost loving my loved one to death with my attempts at um, I. I thought were supportive and helping, but uh, I learned later how it can be, the best intent can be reversed on you and becomes enabling of the, of the disease. So. Yeah, that's, thanks for sharing what progress looks like. And then really you ended here with something I think is key in the, uh, the family dynamic, the family nature of addiction is enabling through well-meaning, intentions of, of parents and other family members who are concerned about the substance use disorder of someone they care about. And, and you mentioned a term that I, I know you've, you've come to terms with this idea, but loving someone to death, what, what can enabling look like? I know this can get um, really specific, but in general terms, what, what does that involve and how can it be actually destructive to uh, a loved one who has substance use disorder they're struggling with. I had a, one of the founding members of this organization had a saying about what's it as far as enabling, is it pushing your loved one closer to recovery or farther away? And then you have to kind of step back and analyze your what you're doing, if something that seems as simple as some money for lunch could get diverted for money for substances. Um, 
not allowing natural consequences to play out. Uh, now, some consequences are too drastic, too life-threatening to allow to happen, but um, someone said that the world is uh, it's quite something to the effect that the world's quite a teacher if we allow it to be. Mm. And so the does it make sense to pay off loans or bail out of jail your adult your your young adult um, did they learn anything by it's almost like you're doing things for them they should be able to do themselves so that they're capable of doing themselves but you kind of rush in to save the day and it sends a mixed message it says in some ways it may say I don't feel you're capable of deal, handling this, so I'll do it for you. But it also at times can soften the impact. Having some natural consequences play out, I feel motivates our loved ones to want to change. Uh, like the work, like I say, the world's a great teacher if we allow it. So uh, if they get arrested and you immediately intervene and there's no consequences or discomfort from that. Or there's, they don't have to pay fines. Um, I won't say learn anything or not. It doesn't have the same impact. So if we make everything extra comfortable <laughs> and uh, enable these the poor decisions and bad behavior, why would they change anything? So why would they want to change their behaviors? So, some of this is my own opinion, so yeah. Sure. Um, but that, that, that's what I've seen. Uh, I've seen individuals like yourself talk about their recoveries and those that are in successful longer term recoveries always talk about how the family made a, uh, should I say, a, a stance, a hard choice on how they were gonna react to their loved ones substance use disorder. Uh, not to say it wasn't done a loving way, it's just, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna stop enabling you, but I do support recovery for you and I'll do everything in my power to support that. Not necessarily financially, just, just letting you know, you have my unconditional love and support and um, I support recovery, but I'm not gonna, be involved with enabling or the madness of the, the, the substance use and all that that's tied into that. So we can have a two hour, three hour show on <laughs> well, enabling we, itself. So, we yeah. could, we could, because it's so central. It really is that uh, where the addictive behaviors and results of those behaviors meet up against the family and their love and concern for for the for that individual. I know again with my wife, um, there was a period, a long period, where where she would admit that yeah, she was involved in some enabling and codependency, and that it was detrimental to um, my chance for recovery. But she didn't know until she knew, and that's one of the things right. that parents, if you're listening in the addiction, the cycle and how it affects families, most of us just don't know about. We may think we understand it or that it's going to somehow get better on its own, but it really takes getting educated and learning about these terms like enabling or codependency or 
another term is called detachment. They use that a lot in Al-Anon and other programs, but detachment with love is what my wife began practicing. She still cared for me as a person, as her husband, as the love of her life, but she was done. Part of her was detaching from trying to change my behaviors around addiction and trying to micromanage and, and check my spending habits and, and determine how many drinks I'd had that day. She let go of a lot of that and instead put her energy into uh, attending meetings and connecting with other people who understood the chaos that my addiction was causing in her life. And then she started to get better. And so if there's a story of hope here, it's that in my case, once my wife had had enough and I had an outburst one night and uh, was drunk at home and crazy, then she took our two young daughters and left and didn't tell me where they were going or anything. And uh, that wasn't common. She'd never done that before. Um, and so that was one of, I think, the final domino in my journey that finally said, there's nothing left here. I mean, short time after that, I lost my career job. So there was more to lose for me, but um, that, that was helpful. It, it was really painful. It was the hardest thing I think she ever had to do in our relationship. She's told me that. But the effect was that I think it really was pivotal in my finding uh, a more secure long-term recovery from alcoholism. So there are benefits to cutting the enabling and, and learning what it is and how not to do it. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned detachment because that gets debated a lot in our meetings. Yeah. Some will say, does that mean I don't care anymore? I have nothing to do with you? And we really stress what you, you elaborated on is that uh, you're detaching from trying to control, mm -hmm. which you can't. I've learned I couldn't control my loved one or another human being for that matter. Um, I'm detaching from their problems and I'm going to focus on myself and similar experience. My, my family started going to support meetings. Well, funny coincidence, our loved ones started to get better, but you know, what not to say that because I went to a support group, he got better. They, my loved one, he started to see a change in us. And I, and I guess they realized they couldn't manipulate us like they had in the past. And, um, and we were modeling that self-care we just referenced. So, um, and later in recovery, our loved one said, knowing that his family had unconditional love and support for him. It was, uh, that's something that kept him motivated to, re to recover. And I've heard that from other individuals, knowing uh, someone they're close with, doesn't have to be a parent, could be a close friend, advisor, or whatever, knowing that person is there with them. And, um, and sometimes that's important, just being present with them. Not, I was a fixer. I was, a, how do we fix the problem? And I wasn't um, listening. I wasn't listening to learn what my loved one was going through. So I think that's important. We're, we're quick to fix. We want an answer. 
uh, we'll move on to the next thing in our life. So, uh, as we both know, this is not a quick process. Uh, I feel it's a lifelong process, something that has to be nourished and you know addressed as needed. So, both for myself and my loved ones. You know. Yeah, we believe that too. And I think what I'm hearing, these are some of the benefits of longer term um, health and wellness or recovery, we could also call it. These are, this is what it sounds like, those that are listening right now and thinking this sounds different. What well, is different? You know, it's a completely different way of living. And really, that's what recovery is about. It doesn't happen all at once. Um, we all want a quick fix, you know, us alcoholics and addicts do too. Most of us, when we're really honest with ourselves, don't want to be causing the damage that we're causing. And we don't want to be hurting our loved ones. And we don't want to be sick and losing our jobs and making everybody ashamed of us. You know, that's not normal. Now it gets normalized to some level with us as addicts and alcoholics, as we justify and rationalize our behavior so that we can keep getting the drug or fix or whatever it is that we think we need. But for me in my journey, it sounds really similar to what you're describing, Kirk, is, um, I mean, I, we want to control things too. You know, part of my drinking and drugging was uh, uncomfortable emotions and ruminating and uh, not being able to have uh, my expectations met and my what I would call my needs at the time met, which were really more wants. They were just younger, uh, more childlike, uh, instinctual wants that yeah. I hadn't grown up to understand a more mature way to address instincts and wants and needs and learn the difference between those things, <laughs> which there are differences. <laughs> and so, yeah, this, it's a whole way of life is what really all I'm trying to say that um, really doesn't involve the, the drinking or the drugging anymore. It involves a few principles that we put into action to, to stay educated and to, for me, continue to develop those relationships that once were damaged. And that's one of my biggest goals is just to be kind, to be loving, uh, to be a good person, the best I know how, and to make a difference in the world and just try to show up that way every day. Cause I couldn't do that for years. And I mean, what a blessing to be able to, to live this kind of life. Yeah. Thanks for being that role model for uh, listeners for themselves or if they have loved ones are concerned about, um, you know, you talked about earlier on, um, uh, did you go to treatment a couple of times? I did. I went twice to, yeah, 28 day treatment. And I'll, I'll have parents reach out and they'll, they'll say treatment didn't work. They, mm. our son or daughter relapsed. And I always like to stress that they did learn something. And there was progress and not to, maybe not to gauge the total success by one one misstep, uh, one drink or one one fix for drug. Uh, Derek Talkington was talking to one of our groups at Oklahoma City chapter once and a parent was concerned about their child potentially relapsing and uh, you know he stressed you know you might have several years of recovery sobriety and 
or if you mess up one weekend, would, would you take that? Would that be, would that be, would you be willing to accept having 99% of your loved one in recovery and you know, not fretting and worrying about the next uh, potential mistake or mishap? Uh, so it, it, I'm kind of wandering around here, but I just would stress if your loved one has gone to some kind of treatment and it's currently in sobriety recovery, enjoy those days with them. Um, don't, as hard as it is, don't fret and worry about a possible mistake that could be months, years, or never even happen. Don't, don't let that rob your happiness today. So I guess my point would be be present in the moment. And if your loved one's doing well, you know, relish that, enjoy that. Yeah, I would echo that. You know, that's central to this um, more long-term perspective. But, but you can, even early on, you can find little glimpses of happiness and relief um, through supportive individuals, through listening to people that have been there, done that, and somehow come out on the other side, which I feel is this is part of the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous program is to pass it along. You know, it's, it's the least that folks like us can do that have, as they say, been through the ringer, kind of an old term, but uh, been there, done that, but, but I'm not that way anymore. Something's really, really different. And I still remember what it was like. And then we talk about what happened and now what it's like living this way. So this conversation is just an extension of that for everyone listening. And uh, it's better out here. It's better. So take action and, and get yourself some help. And uh, just like Kirk, like you're saying here, it's okay to be happy. It's okay to um, have a life that you can live until you die. Um, it's possible to get unwrapped and untangled from a lot of the storylines of your loved one, but it takes work, it takes a completely different mindset. And that takes time to develop, but it's so worth it. I encourage everyone listening to do that. And, and Kirk, for we're coming up to the end of our time. I want to give you a few more minutes, but I want to make sure and, and get any uh, websites or resources that are on the uh, top of your mind. And, and I'll put them in the show notes. I'll find the others that uh, we can't think of now. And uh, so folks can reach out to you and uh, your organization. Well, I would encourage parents to start with our, our website, which is parentshelpingparents.info. And there's a, you'll be able to see our, all our updates on our chapters and our meetings. And there's a pretty vast list of resources uh, deeper into the website. But since the, COVID has started, we've created a kind of a shorter list of uh, resources. I think people will find helpful, more virtual ways of reaching out until it's safe to meet in person again. So that's big. Um, also our Facebook pages, and go to Parents Helping Parents, Inc. Inc. is our umbrella organization that helps support the chapters of our community. And uh, you can find various postings about meetings, but also other topics of interest. And uh, we talked about the partnership and addiction. And a lot of times we'll post information through about their website, which is drugfree.org. 
And um, you mentioned something, Charles, about entanglement. It made, made me think of a prop that a, a speaker brought in once. It was Kelly Fry with the Daily Oklahoman. And she reached in a box and she pulled up some Christmas lights. He said, this is my loved one, but it is all tangled up and knotted up. And she wanted to use that as an illustration that was their loved one's problems. And she tried to untangle it and it was part of her talk. And she said, but don't despair. And she plugged it in and said, there's still a light inside. So your loved one's still there, but they're just struggling through this entanglement of the, the, the disease. And I really believe it is a disease and I believe it affects our loved ones and the family. It's not just our loved ones problem. It's, I feel it's the family problem. And we all have to learn how to um, live a life of purpose, as you would say. And, um, you know, we all have to see, we all have to change in a way. And, uh, but there's help and hope and just, I just encourage your listeners to reach out. No, please don't isolate at home. At home, there's a there's a vast, loving, caring recovery community that just they want to help, they want to support, they want to help you find the resources you need. So, thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Kirk, and and thank you for sharing everything that you shared. And I'm telling you, that uh, example from Kelly Fry that you just mentioned uh, the in tangled up Christmas tree lights that she was trying to untangle and then plugged in, they still worked. That hit me uh, right in the heart. That's a very good metaphor or analogy for um, really what addiction is. And, and there's a human being, that loved one is still there. And uh, even with, with help and support, you can find a, a better life for yourself. And, and you can see better that um, your child or other loved one that's underneath the illness. My wife talks a lot about that. And uh, when she was able to, to remember me and see me and not all the chaos and problems, and that helped her to be able to love me easier while she was detaching and, and recovering from fixing and things like that. And I'm telling you, um, knowing that today and being sober and looking back on that just means the world. So, Kirk, thanks again for being my guest. I really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you. You've been listening to the Live Your Purpose podcast. I hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest. If you like what you hear, please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. To learn more about the life coaching, public speaking, and retreat services that I offer, visit fullintegrationcoaching.com. And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember... You were meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today.